there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about entrepreneurship, especially a business that involves making and selling stuff, then this is the episode for you because my next guest founded his company, Findlay Hats, in his living room in Portland, Oregon in late 2013. And today he's got about 16 employees and they've moved from his living room to a warehouse and Findlay Hats was picked up by the largest action sports retailer in the world. But before I introduce you to Jimmy Hickey, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays, and it's got unique insights into dozens of different industries, and you get to hear from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Jimmy Hickey, the founder of Finley Hats, which launched in late 2013 from Jimmy's living room where he and his then girlfriend had a small handheld grommet. And we're going to learn more about what a grommet press is, a sewing machine, a camera, a computer, and about 80 hats. Before launching Findlay, Jimmy had spent most of his professional life, even while he was still in high school, as a professional photographer, taking portraits, covering action sports, and doing documentary work. Jimmy, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am so caffeinated and ready to go. I was taking a shot of espresso for every one of the espresso shot questions. I am ready to go. You are wired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am so envious of you getting to build your business in Oregon. You are just outside of Portland or are you in Portland? We are in Portland. It is without a doubt, first of all, one of my favorite cities in the world, but as a state, I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. It is so incredibly green and it's got amazing outdoor activities, whether it's Fly fishing, hiking, off-road biking, camping, skateboarding, skiing, and snowboarding. I think Finley's motto or your tagline is built for good times. Is this what you were alluding to, these kinds of good times? (laughs) Those are majority of the good times we're alluding to, absolutely. Also throw in a little bit of rafting, a little bit of stand-up paddle boarding, some surfing, whatever other good times those may be. You know, we're, we're all inclusive out here in Oregon. So whatever those good times may be, we want to be there for you with it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be in Oregon because Findlay hats are worn all around the world and your customers are all around the world. Yep. Worldwide, Findlay hats. Before we dig into what you're doing right now at Findlay as the founder and the guy who gets shit done, Jimmy, <laughs> I thought maybe we could flashback a few years, you're 29 now, to when you were in middle school, when you first got the idea 
for the Finley hat and you mentioned the rafting, what was going on that made you think this kind of a hat? So I was middle school, me having a good old time with my friends. We would spend a lot of our summer days out on the Toodle River. Uh, for those of you not familiar with the Northwest, we Northwest United States, we have awesome volcano called Mount St. Helens that erupted in the 80s and is now like if you look at the mountain, the half the, the top part of it's blown off. It's a really cool situation. Either way, at the base of Mount St. Helens, there are some waterways that are just filled with debris from when the volcano erupted from like logging trucks underwater to cars to foundations of houses to giant 20 foot tall piles of rebar. It's a really interesting waterway and it's kind of dangerous to raft. And there's one area in particular called the Hollywood Gorge that's kind of like a rite of passage for uh, people in our area to go raft through. And, you know, people would be on inner tubes to cheap Walmart rafts to professional rafts as well. But most of the time it was the first two options, the the (laughs) inner tube or the uh, Walmart raft. With my group of friends, uh, we had the Walmart raft. I think we could fit three people in each one. And most of the time they'd be deflating by the time we got to the Hollywood Gorge and a little sketchy. But either way, this was, I forget what year it was, but I was a young middle school guy and my uh, buddies gave me a stupid haircut. It was kind of like a friar's haircut. Like a, like had, I had like a halo of hair with like bald in the middle, <laughs> hair, like halo circle, and then bald on the, the outside. So it's just this really weird little haircut situation that my friends gave me. And I don't remember why I wanted it or why I got it. One of my friends got a mohawk and I got this circle halo hair. But so when we'd be rafting and I wanted to have a hat on my head, I didn't want to have that haircut exposed. And for whatever reason, yeah, I'm rafting down the mighty Tudor River. We get to the Hollywood Gorge and we decide to charge it and we go a little too far right and we flip. Then we go a little too far left. We're out we're out of the raft at this point. We go a little too far left and go over the waterfall. Get a little scraped up, a little banged up. It's all good. We survived probably a, a cut knee, nothing too bad, except my hat was missing. And it was this beautiful quilted Burton hat that was like, had like kind of this S pattern on the front. It was khaki, awesome hat. You still remember it. Oh yeah, it was it was my favorite hat at the time. And I had to spend the rest of the day rafting with that kind of goofy haircut and in the direct sunlight. And it just didn't feel right without a hat on my head. It was kind of a bummer day and I was bummed to lose my hat, bummed to have that halo haircut thing. So the next time I went rafting, I was determined to not lose my hat another time. So whatever hat I had on at the time, I took my shoelaces out of my shoe, cut a hole in the side of the hat, tied it up, and I brought the shoelaces down around my chin to keep my hat on my head kind of as a chin strap. And I wore it while rafting, didn't lose my hat. And that hat became my water hat. And I just wore it all the time when I was on the water. When I wasn't on the water, I'd put the laces up on the brim of the hat. People would always like, man, that hat's so cool. Where'd you get it? I was like, I made it myself. And they're like, well, cool. If you make more, I'll, I'll buy one. And uh, fast forward like 10-ish years, we decided to, or I decided to make more. So what were the first steps you took to try to breathe life into this idea? I come from a commercial photography background or just a photography background. And back in 2012, 2013, it was even less saturated than it is now, but it was still a really saturated, difficult to make a living industry. And I realized that I needed something to stay busy through the slow part, which is winter out here. That's just there's no one paying for photo work when it's rainy and cloudy out here. So I needed a project to work on that could sustain my life 
through the slow season. So I actually, I laid out a couple different ideas. One of them still on the back burner. I'm, I'm going to launch it at some point. I'm pretty excited about it. But I laid out a couple different ideas, like three or four ideas that I had with the hat company being one of them. And I threw them all on a piece of paper. And actually, I took a business course, like a single business course. And this was one of the the pieces of advice that they had in there when you're stuck with ideas. And you basically lay it out with your ideas on the left side. And then you just have uh, columns, rows and columns, rows of ideas, columns of how to rank that idea as far as its potential for growth, your passion or interest in it, and whatever other important metrics that you might have. But I think growth potential interest in it, and then skill level in it. I think those are all, I think the three ones I went with. And I laid out all different ideas and the hat idea had the most points. You score it from one to five and whichever one has the most points might be the one that deserves the most attention to move forward with. But once I was like, okay, I'm gonna move forward with the hat idea. Now I need to see if there's actually a market there. There actually is much potential. So I had my my little personal one and I put it on, I just took a picture of it with the laces up on the bill and then the laces down around my girlfriend, Sarah, at the time, who's still our co-founder and still runs our seamstress department. But I uh, took a photo of her wearing the hat with the laces up and the laces down and I posted it on my personal Instagram and I said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a hat company that sells these. What do you guys think? And obviously it's biased. It's a group of friends and family and acquaintances. But, you know, in the first 20 minutes or so, maybe hour, there was a lot of really good feedback. And I kind of took that as a sign of, okay, like 20, 30 comments in an hour is good enough to, I think, where it's maybe this idea has some legs and I'll, I'll put some more energy and effort into developing it. And then from there, it just came the logistics of actually sourcing, you know, how do we get the lace to stay on the hat? How do we make it look good? How do we, where do we buy the hat? How do we decorate the hat? How do we ship the hat? You know, so then it became a question of figuring out the logistics and lots of time on Google, lots of time at the craft store. And yeah, then logistically kind of went from there. You mentioned that you initially took photos of Sarah wearing a Finley hat and then posted it on Instagram and tried to do a little basic market research to see what the reaction would be. How did you get the word out about your hats once you started making more of them? And where did you go to sell them? Have you always been kind of direct to consumer or did the website sales come later? So we started with direct-to-consumer. We did a a launch party at a local accessory store that we kind of launched the brand at. So we did a little bit of in-person from the beginning, but from day one, it was all online. As far as early traction, it really was just through friends and family and then friends of friends. And then through my photography career, I had networked with a lot of action sports athletes who weren't necessarily major influencers, but were strong micro-influencers who maybe had four or 5,000 followers of pretty tight-knit followers who were just would follow them closely. So we partnered with a few strategic people on that that end. And it wasn't strategic based on some overarching strategy. It was just based on people we knew. But as a result, it kind of grew in a couple hub cities. But you know, one of our really early goals was to not we want to represent our, our the Northwest. We want to represent Portland, but we don't want to be stuck and seen just as that Portland brand. We don't want people to think that when they think Finley, they only think Portland. We only use pictures of our bridges and buildings and mountains for our design or influence. But at the same time, we also want to be known as that hometown hero to where we're locally respected and internationally known. So it's kind of been trying to walk that, that fine line between getting the, the hometown hero, but also selling in Maine, selling in New York, selling in Florida Canada and other spots. So, Yeah. Well, in one of your super cool videos online, and I recommend that our listeners check them out, I think one that you've got had like 
over 14 million views. Is that right? Yeah, we have Crazy. a handful of our our basic info ads that are in the you know tens of millions of views now, and that's another piece that helped us grow even early on. We just made a simple video about who we are and what we're all about, and put it on Facebook and Instagram. And when we could afford it, we started running ads to it. And there was a pretty big gap from when we started taking the ads seriously, or at least really understanding it and maximizing it. Uh, but even from an early stage, our ads would be a good piece of helping us grow the community. So let's get into. What you're doing today, Jimmy, as the founder and the guy responsible for running things in your company, what are all the different hats you wear? And I'm not just talking about Finley hats. Huh. Um, so well, actually, a big piece of what I'm, I'm trying to do now, we're at a pretty, you know, we have 16-ish employees. And a big piece of it is trying to delegate tasks that I can pass off to other people because building a business that is so owner-reliant is a necessity at times, but also at at stages, it, it, it becomes too much. And if I were to get hit by a bus... The business needs to thrive on past that. I can't be the one link that's holding it all together. So a big piece of what we're working on now is to train more people in more areas and learn to trust our managers, learn to trust our team to get stuff done. And so far, we're seeing some good results. And you know, it's gone to the point where I feel a little bit more comfortable passing off more of the responsibilities. But I mean, a quick overview of what what I do here is I handle a lot of our marketing end-to-end from our social accounts, Facebook, Instagram, not Snapchat anymore, and Twitter. We do have someone who helps us on that end of things, one person who spends a couple hours a day just working through there. But I'm curating, I'm creating the content, I'm coordinating with content creators. Uh, we have a mailing list, so that's coordinating you know, our mailing list of tens of thousands of people and our email flow. So that isn't just, you know, we send a weekly newsletter or a monthly newsletter. It's also a new customer signs up and we have this whole process that or a new customer buys from us. And we have a whole like five month journey that they go on where every other week they get some type of informative piece of the puzzle to learn more about our brand or little info like that. So managing our mailing list from spreading awareness, engaging our uh, communities. We have a private group of collectors. So I spend a lot of time discussing with our collectors and learning from them and starting discussions with them and getting their feedback. And then just, again, working on engagement on social media, discussing with not just our collectors, but also just regular people on social media. I reached out to other brand owners and ambassadors and have open dialogues with you know places from different companies, different people, different people that are strategic partners, different people that might not be strategic, but might be in the future. We do contests, so I'm organizing the contest. Uh, I can expand more on marketing, but that's just one piece of it. Then it comes down to customer acquisition. So that's advertising. We, have, we spend a Lamborghini payment a day just on advertising. And I drive an old car from 1999 and it's it's weird to know that we could afford a Lambo each day just in the amount we spend in advertising. But so we manage that and that tracking hundreds of well, tens of different ads every single day because there's probably there's close to 100, I bet, across the whole the whole uh, manager. But that's analyzing, tweaking, modifying and adjusting the target audience. That's reviewing our analytics and diving deep into what's working, what isn't working. That also comes back to the marketing. That's content creation. That's figuring out what is going to sell, what isn't selling, what will what we need more of, less of, that side of things. So that's, you know, managing our, our sales funnel. Um, <laughs> website administration. So that's our website. I, um, you know, built our website. So I'm designing the layout, the user flow. I'm trying to work on our conversion rate. I'm trying to decrease our cost per conversion. We have Apps. We have over 10 different apps on our website. Each one of those has a different piece of the puzzle that helps us either increase conversion or make the website work better or makes our customer service side of things work better or anything like that. That's managing the, 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 the inventory and the product pages. You know, we launch hats twice a week and um, 
going in there and adding the the hats to the website, adding the descriptions, adding the quantities, adding the styles, all that info. Um, that again, uh, search engine optimization. That's you know making sure our SEO is is working well and that we rank high on Google and also the Google ads. So I talk about Facebook ads. We also do a lot of Google ads. Then all the copy and text for the website, creative director. That's just conceptualizing, researching, and materializing the Finley product line of stuff. So we work with our graphic designer in coming up with ideas and executing those ideas uh, for our hats, our apparel, our accessories, all that good stuff. Um, and then again, that falls back on content, mock-ups, all that stuff. Um, yeah, sourcing. That's talking to manufacturers, uh, contractors. That's organizing our projects. That's putting in bidding. Uh, that's trying to find the best price. Sourcing the materials domestically and overseas. Ordering the goods. I'm our buyer right now too, so that's ordering everything we need for inventory as needed. And then you know, developing strategies and relationships to purchase stuff at a lower cost. Then we have business to business sales. I oversee that. We have a two person sales force where. Their whole job is just bringing in new business-to-business customers. So that's us making hats for other companies. That's us making hats for events and teams and that side of things. And that's about 20% of our business. So that's just kind of big picture overview with our, our sales team. And luckily, they kind of hire or they kind of you know do a lot of the work and I just kind of oversee it. I used to handle a lot of our customer service. I spent over an hour a day every day doing customer service. And now we have a customer service team, uh, one person in particular who's working full-time on that. But then we have someone here that handles all of our warranty, all of our hats of a lifetime warranty. So we have stuff being sent back constantly. Holy cow, that is a ton of stuff that you're grappling with. Jimmy, for our young listeners, those who are still in college and maybe aspiring entrepreneurs, what kind of hard or technical skills do you think would be most useful for them? to try to acquire before they graduate. When you were going through a lot of your responsibilities and the things that you're kind of juggling, it felt to me like having a data analytics or some kind of course involving numbers would be really useful. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the the numbers aspect and I think having a, an analytical approach has its value. But also, I mean... 20 something dollars an hour, you can hire a bookkeeper that can help with the more most technical side of those things. I think that there's value in that. And I think there's totally uh, a reason behind why it is a piece of the curriculum. But I don't know if it's it's necessarily a required hard skill set to have or experience with. Kind of like we went over the espresso shots questions. I think it's really less about immediate hard skill set and more about kind of overarching character traits. I think being hardworking, ambitious, positive mental attitude, I think those are all really important pieces. And if you have those pieces in your character as a whole, self-motivating, eagerness to learn, all of those like positive traits, I think that makes the list of jobs I, I went over and the jobs that I haven't gone over, didn't go over, I think all of those are, are doable easier when you have the, those traits. So I don't think there's necessarily one skill set that is needed as long as you have the the character traits I mentioned. Yeah. I know though, from listening to another podcast interview that you did, that you are a big fan of Udemy and you took, I think it was like a $20 course on <laughs> Facebook, right? Like how to do Facebook ads. And by the way, I bought it. I bought that same course. I think I found it because it looked great and I need to learn it as well. But if you were in school right now, knowing what you know, our listeners have 
paid for the semester, are grinding away. What class do you think you would say, make sure to try to take this kind of class because I know I have had to kind of hack my way there. What would you say would be the more useful ones that they should be looking out for? Until you said the the hacking part, I was going to say like some type of art class. Really? Yeah, something out of left field. If you're if you're being super analytical and businessy and and all that side of things, I think adding some creativity to your life would be a good piece of your skill set. Be more well rounded. I think whatever the curriculum for business degrees and MBAs and all that stuff is, I think adding some stuff out of left field might be a good maneuver. I think art, thinking creatively, using your full potential. I think is a super important and overlooked piece. I know whenever I go to business events that are pure businessy people wearing suits, um, <laughs> example of that would be the, the Forbes 30 under 30 event in Detroit. I just felt so disconnected from so many of the other entrepreneurs there and business people there because they were just so just a bunch of suits. You know, they didn't have that creative spark. They didn't have that piece that I identify a lot with. And I'm sure there's plenty of, of creative geniuses there that know no more about stuff than I, I ever will. But I think as a whole, I, the, the business world is missing that piece. And from my experience, being able to think creatively, being able to, everyone's knocking on the front door, how are you going to go around to the back? I think that's an important piece of being in business and running things. I don't think that specializing or, or really spending a semester learning really a deep dive into analytical numbers and anything like that is necessarily a make or break situation. Okay, fair enough. So (laughs) let's flash back to when you were in school. You started out at Seattle Central College in Washington State in 2009, where you studied commercial photography. But I think you ended up dropping out after a year. Isn't that right? Yep. So it was a two-year program and I was having a tough time balancing my professional career with schoolwork. As a result, I wasn't able to dive deep enough into my personal career and I wasn't able to dedicate the time and energy it took to do well in school, at least do up to the standards that my professors knew that I was capable of. Um, I I came into the the course with some level of professional experience. And so they had seen my my work quality and just were basically, I, I just wasn't meeting their expectations for what I what I was capable of. And I came to the conclusion independently that I should take the next year off and focus fully on my photo business. And I was under the impression that if I were to spend the next year building my brand or building my my photo career, that I would probably be in a better space than I would if I stayed another year in photo school. And it's only a two-year program. So it wasn't, you know, I got half the, the experience. So I came to that conclusion independently. And the next day I was pulled into the, like a meeting with all three of the the professors and they told me the exact same thing, <laughs> that I should take the next year off, focus on my career. And if I wanted to come back, they'd have a seat for me. And it was a pretty like surreal experience, you know, like to have that kind of synchronicity, like laid right in front of me that is like, okay, that probably is the move. And so, yeah, I, I spent the next Next year building my business and didn't look back from there. I was happy with where my photo career went. I was able to live off it, open my own studio and uh, kind of build it out from there. I just, I don't do well in a, in a classroom environment. I do a lot of daydreaming. I do a lot of independent research and learning. Like most of the 
days, especially my senior year, I spent on a computer researching photography and spending time doing photo stuff online and posting my photos online for critique and criticism and learning about whatever subject that day on my own versus paying attention to in the HTML class I was in or whatever thing I was doing that day. So so that that continued even with photo school. I just I didn't I don't do well in a classroom environment, even when it is something I love like photography. That other stuff just didn't light you up. Nah, not at all. So do you use your photography talents and skills today at Finley? Yes. And uh, it's one of my favorite aspects of Finley because that passion for photography and to create has, hasn't left at all. And now what's cool about it is it's in the majority of what I do whenever I pick up a camera is directly related to building the brand. And it's a really, it's a cool way to kind of combine my experience in the photo and media world with my experience in the sales and marketing and advertising world. So I'm able to kind of fuse the two together. I can take professional quality photos of a hat or a a portrait of someone and two minutes later have it posted on our website or on our Instagram. So two final questions, Jimmy. And these are questions I try to ask all my guests. Could you share a time in your professional life when you really struggled? Maybe you even failed or got fired. And I am not asking you this to try to embarrass you. And it's far, far from it. Personally, I got fired twice in my 40s. And even though those experiences at the time hurt like hell and were definitely humiliating, they turned out to be incredible gifts. And I want our young listeners to understand that we all fuck up or run up against bad luck or a bad boss or whatever. And you just need to move on. You need to learn whatever lessons are to be had and just persevere. So what was that experience for you, Jimmy? And how did you persevere? And was there a lesson that you may have learned in the process? So... That experience for me was actually the entire year of 2019. Last year was an extremely difficult year for business for us. 2018 and 17, we saw explosive growth and we couldn't keep up with the sales and we were just crushing it every single day. It was awesome. And we were bringing on new equipment and taking on these big projects and doing all this stuff and it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, we're like, all right, let's, we, we've, we got, we got caught up. Let's try to keep growing. And right around that stage, we kind of hired two extra people that we, we didn't need, but we projected we would need if we stayed on this trend. And then the sales just kind of stopped. And we, like a business our size, cash flow is always an issue. And we're very reliant on day to day sales to keep us afloat. And, you know, our break even point was extremely high. So, Basically, the sales funnels and the strategies and everything we had done up to that point that was working like clockwork just stopped working. And when I talk about Facebook being a cruel mistress, that's a good example of it because our return on advertising and our daily sales just significantly dropped. And through 2019, we just had a really difficult year when it came to sales. It was a constant battle of making payroll, being able to pay our bent team's benefits, being able to pay for inventory, stuff being out of stock because we couldn't afford the bulk inventory until this payment came through and owing money. And long story short, it was a really challenging year. And it all came from cash flow problems. And it all came from our sales. And it all came from the strategy of scaling and growing wasn't working anymore. So that was the problem. And the fix was just to do a deep 
dive into what was working, what wasn't working, and what we needed to do to survive. And I met with a financial advisor who I, I meet with a couple times a year. We reached the conclusion that, okay, our sales are, are not going to be back up to where they were last year. So now we need to make where the sales actually are. We need to figure out how to make that work. How can we spend half the amount in advertising every day? How can we spend half the amount in, in you know, these other expenses and cut this and this and that? And through that type of stricter budgeting, again, it kind of put us back to the power of broke. It put us in a position of, okay, if we only have this amount to spend in advertising each day, how are we going to maximize that? And that kind of made us rework our strategy and that made us adapt the two major changes. We started offering a premium mystery box where it's just a bunch of good stuff for $100 flat. Higher ticket item means we can spend more in advertising to bring in customers, but still get good margins and then they still get great value. And then two, we started doing those weekly launches where we would launch new styles of hats every single week at a limited run. So that built up demand and drive and added even more people to our collector community. So we took the bad sales and pivoted and regrouped and figured out, okay, how can we, instead of trying to focus on scaling the business, we just need to sustain the business. How can we sustain it? And those were the two strategies that worked for us for uh, sustaining the business. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. It was a challenging, it was a challenging year. Probably the most difficult year of my entire life was 2019 because it was just a constant battle every single day. I mean, worrying about finances. I got in a car accident and got paid out by the insurance, I think like 3K for the car that I, that I had. And I was able to live off that for, I think, two, three months without paying myself just because it, you know, it needed to be done. There was funds were so tight. Yeah. Well, it Tough shows year. you how bad it can get and still persevere. Yeah, absolutely. We're here today, strong and you know better than ever. So yeah, and it kind of goes back to the career advice that you were talking about in our espresso shots, where you were talking about the Nike motto or whatever they call it, their tagline, "Just do it," and how so many people you know that have ideas for businesses don't just go out and do it. And I was saying maybe one of the reasons is that they're afraid of failing. And the thing is, if you, as you said, kind of game it out and say, well, the worst thing is I fail. And sometimes good businesses do fail, but they can also pivot and move into something else. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're, we're living proof of that, 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 that maneuver helped and uh, didn't have to let anyone go, didn't have to cut benefits, didn't have to cut pay. So, you know, we came out on top, but it was a super stressful year. Final question. If you could go back to school, go back to Seattle Central College and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, Jimmy, what advice would you give yourself? I guess really take advantage of the master's of the craft that were there. You know, we had three excellent, well-established professional photographers. And while I talked with them weekly about my portfolio and had review sessions with them where they'd look over my work, I think really taking full advantage of, of their wisdom when I had it readily available and it was, you know, literally their job to help. I think taking more advantage of that would have been really helpful because now it's tough to, to find people that are extremely open and willing to help and able to share their experiences with you that are completely transparent, that have nothing to sell you, nothing to gain, and really taking full advantage of those opportunities that aren't there when you graduate. And I think that's you know having those people at your disposal. Yeah. The mentors. Exactly. 
So if you like to have a good time outdoors, not that you don't like to have a good time indoors, but especially outdoors, you absolutely need to check out finleyhats.com, F-I-N-D-L-A-Y hats.com. And did I say that right, Jimmy? Was it Finley Hats or just yep. Finley.com? Finley Hats.com. Okay. I was it. like, uh oh. Excuse me? You got the little jingle down for it too. F I N D L A Y H A T S dot com. Yeah. Nice. And you can also learn more about why they're called Finley. We didn't get into that, but I figure you can check it out on the website. Jimmy, thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. I really enjoyed learning about Finley, learning about how you're building your business and just all the creative things that you're doing. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share my story with your uh, listeners. And I wish you all the best of luck out there. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.